and welcome to the Total Soccer Show. Woohoo! My name is Daryl Grove, and I'm joined by a man who's about to dye his hair pink. His name is Taylor Rockwell. Hello. Hello. Can I, do I have to go blonde first in order to go pink? Can you go brown to pink? I don't know. You might You might have to go in stages. I guess I'll have to find out. Yeah. Although, is it purple? Is Megan Rapinoe's hair purple? No, it's pink. It's, it's pink? pink for oh, sure. Right. Yeah. Okay. I, I feel like I can't have noticed that you had your haircut uh, today. Yesterday. Yesterday. And then you offered to do things with hair for me. <laughs> so I feel like you waited until you knew that you were as farthest away from the barber as possible. Yeah, one, one of us has to do it, right? Yeah. One of us has to do, do it. Do we? Is that a rule? Do. She scored, she scored the, All right. the goals. All right. She Make scored the goals. Yeah. All right. So we are That's here. it. That's the end of the show. She <laughs> scored goals. End of show. Tyler Rockwell, thank yeah. you for taking it. <laughs> Let's talk USA 2, France 1. The US won the quarter final. Megan Rapino with two goals. And I'm going to say a lot of questions answered from I the agree. US. The, a lot of the questions we had about the roster, about Jalelis, about certain players mm-hmm. uh, before the tournament, all of them were answered uh, to this afternoon, mm-hmm. our time, um, and the answer was yes in the positive yes. for all the U.S. players. I agree, and I would double down by saying not just the questions we had or concerns we had coming into the tournament, but I would say, at least for me, some of the concerns and questions I had coming out of the Spain game, mm-hmm. where I felt like Jill Ellis got some things wrong, made some questionable decisions. Yeah, coming into this game, we thought maybe that was going to be the case again because obviously Lindsey Horan does not start. Yeah, but I think every decision decision Jill Ellis made and the adjustments she made, more importantly, yep. were all on point. Absolutely. All right, let's talk about that start lineup thing because uh, people were not happy right no. people, or at least people were concerned I, I wasn't happy I'll raise my hand and say Lindsay Horan yep. regarded as maybe either the best or I would say the most complete midfielder we have right she's she's a, she's a defensive force she's a box to box force and she's a creative force right mm. she's a 6 an 8 and a 10 what does that make out a 24 she's a 24 <laughs> yeah <laughs> Didn't start. Instead, nope. we went the midfield three of Mewis, which is, I guess, the surprise. Uh, Julie Ertz in the middle and Rose Lavelle. Yeah. So maybe we can say, in hindsight, why do we think Jill Ellis went with those three and not Lindsay Horan? Yeah, so I think, like, we, we had this question. My generic answer was more so that basically I think it was a choice between Horan and Lavelle. Uh, I think that was probably the way she was looking. Uh, Jill Ellis, knowing it was going to be a more physical encounter, she probably only wanted to have maybe one more technical, creative player. And I think it was either it's going to be Lavelle, who's going to be technical and creative, Horan, who can maybe do that, not quite as well as Lavelle, but can be more physical. And I think she wanted Lavelle in there to kind of create some attacks, to be able to hold the ball, to draw some fouls, and I think also to do some defensive work. We saw her doing that. Lavelle? Yeah, like like sliding over, covering at times. I think that was part of their game plan, was like Lavelle comes over and kind of puts out fires if the situation requires. I have a different argument. Sure. Maybe we'll get into more detail on this, but the mm-hmm. job that Tobin Heath did yep. on the right wing, mm-hmm. she, she essentially nullified herself for large parts of the game 100%. to help Kelly O'Hara yep. with that left-sided threat of Les Sommers and Marjorie. So Heath tracked back a lot and was sort of take, takes herself out as a creative force. Yep. But then you want on that right side maybe to have Rose Lavelle because then you have, even if Heath is occupied doing defensive things, Lavelle is still able to maybe provide some creative threat down the right. Yeah, so maybe it's about, it might be about that balance. Yeah, I, th- I think that's absolutely correct. And I guess we're maybe jumping ahead here, but I would say I saw a lot of people, especially at halftime, questioning Tobin Heath, wondering what was going on with Tobin Heath's form because we haven't seen her being Tobinia and going at people and yeah, yeah. causing problems and drawing fouls. But I think this is the case, uh, and to extend this further, I asked Caitlin Murray about if we might see Carly Lloyd ending up starting this tournament instead of Alex Morgan. Yeah. And, her, and Caitlin Murray's response was, 
I doubt it because Alex Morgan does so much other stuff that Jill Ellis wants her to do yep. that as long as the U.S. is scoring, Jill Ellis will be fine with it. And I think today was an example of a time when Tobin Heath wasn't focused on the attack, wasn't focused on her game, did exactly what was asked of her, which was drop back, be very defensive, and she did it really well. And it's exemplified by the fact that when she stops doing it the second half, that's when France start getting chances. Absolutely, yeah. And so Tobinia has this almost reputation mm-hmm. as almost like a freestyle footballer, and everyone thinks if yeah. she's not doing stepovers and going past people, then she's not having a good game. But I think the thing I learned today, maybe a question that's answered, is she also has this like ruthless competitiveness, which I think is the hallmark of this US team, yeah. and that's what makes them so good more than anything else. And part of that is that she's willing to work back and do the defensive job. Yes. All right, going back to that starting midfield three, there's also an argument that maybe you would expect Lindsay Horan to start over Sam Mewis, because the three coming into the tournament mm-hmm. we were expected was Ertz, Lavelle, Horan, right? Yeah. I would argue Sam Mewis, I don't even have to argue this, Sam Mewis is the tallest player on the mm-hmm. US team. Yeah, I, that had not... Five foot eleven. That had not occurred to me, both the height and the role that her height would play. Yeah. Uh, but you were absolutely correct that she didn't end up marking, or maybe she was marking Wendy Renard. Wendy Renard was not marking her. I think a couple of times, sometimes it was Ertz marking Renard. Yeah. yeah. Uh, but it was Sam Mewis uh, on a couple of different occasions, especially in the second half, being the one to not just win like uh, the headed ball when the ball is served into the box, but win it with that emphatic headed clearance that you want to see when it goes like 30 yards back up the field and you just yeah. know like the pressure is gone at least for the moment yep and here's my other argument mm. for the start mid for three Jellis watches these players in practice True. right she might be thinking hey these three look sharp Haran maybe is like a little bit behind the three of them right now they're in form I'm gonna pick them right mm-hmm. and I really think there's a thing where people just want their favorite players to play and you can make the argument for Haran um but like, there's things you don't know, right? Mm-hmm. There's things we don't know. Gillette has been watching these players in practice. She feels that these three are the sharpest. Yes. Yeah. I mean, and I think I... I had concerns about that, and I think I was kind of doing the well. I'm not like I'm not there, but I still think it should be Haran. And I think you're right that yeah. it's hard to make that argument. And Haran does eventually come in in the second half, and it feels like a pre-planned substitution, it's and it has a big time, impact. Right? Yep. We'll get, maybe we'll get into the details of that sure. later as we go through the mm-hmm. game. But Haran's introduction is the perfect timing and the perfect use of Haran. Yeah, it kind of works, right? So you don't have to be in the starting eleven to be effective. Mm-mm. I've got one more big argument for you though. The other thing about this starting midfield is a way of getting Mewis. Uh, Haran and Laval to all start at the same time will be to move Julia back from defensive midfield to centre back mm-hmm. and drop Becky Sauerbrand. I saw plenty of people saying that's what I would have done. That would have been my starting lineup. I think again, Becky Sauerbrand had the type of game today that it, that proves why she absolutely has to be there. Yeah, because it's about it's about chemistry and like defending as a unit a lot of times, especially yeah. in the knockout round. And there was one in the second half where they're defending uh, a cross in from France, and I think it's like a free kick that gets played back and. There's a little bit of possession and then eventually the cross comes in and I watched it repeatedly uh, and that back line drops back a yard together they step forward a yard together yep. and there's not one person necessarily who's like screaming at them all to do it they all seem to be keying on Becky Sauerbrunn that when she steps up they move with her but it just stood out to me because they're all so clearly in like lockstep of where to move and how to move it's in relation to theory. each other yeah but if you then drop the Becky's- twins in the shining but four of them Exactly. And uh, slightly less creepy, I would say. <laughs> a lot less creepy. Yes. Less murdery uh, to some. Maybe to a few <laughs> French attackers. But it's. But I just say that to say that, to your point, but if you take out Julie Ertz, maybe she's going to be dominant in the air. She's going to be Julie Ertz. She's yeah. going to be a great leader. But do you lose a little bit of that chemistry and the kind of awareness of where the other one is yeah. without even having to think about it? Yeah, I think so, you probably do. And what we're getting around to is Gillette's got this lineup right. She did. Right? Mm-hmm. A lot of people owe her an apology. 
Yeah, I, th- I mean, well, I, yes and no. I think de- depending on your level of criticism, because yeah. I do think she made mistakes in Spain. I don't think that one good result means that the other thing didn't happen. It may be that she learned from it or adjusted to it, or the players got better or like performed better in their roles this time. But I think she made mistakes against France okay. or against Spain. Yeah, yeah, not less so against France for sure. I mean, really? Yeah, right? there's, there's maybe one, but she fixed it. Things can be two things, my Thing, friend. Things, things can, be, can two be, things. be two things. Before we move t- too far forward, though, because I want to go back to the lineups and the approaches for a yeah. second, because we haven't even talked about France and we weren't sure. If France would go four four two, if they would go four three three, or something like a four two three one, you guessed the four two three one. I did, and you got it right. I, I think you got the lineup exactly right. You I, kind of named it on our show. I did, except that it. I named what I thought they would do, and then I think I also named what I think they should have done, and they did not do what I think they should have done, which is to, which is my way of saying that clearly, if France had listened to me, they would have won this game. <laughs> but the, it, it did seem like they put out a lineup that was going to be fast and aggressive, attacking the United States, especially yeah. in the channels. And so my question. Like in the lead up was so do you start Galvan, who is a very good striker, is is physical and tall and will be the kind of battler in the box. She's a target striker, but is that what you need if you're trying to go fast and creative? And I think the fact that she's France's first substitution and had not much of an impact in this game, I think it it shows that I think if they went a little bit more mobile up there and had a bit more interchange and movement off the ball than having a target striker, I think they might have been a little bit more dangerous. Yeah. But I Sort of was happy to see them in that four two three one because that felt more like for like matching the United States, and I think made me feel just a little bit more like the United States could handle that a bit more than having to adjust yeah. their entire shape. Well, in terms of the, how the game played out, mm-hmm. it seems like France's attack was mostly getting crosses into the box when they could, yes. and Govan got to a couple of them, Les Omer mm-hmm. got to a couple of them, but we're talking about headers from 10, 12 yards away. And I literally, Alyssa and I... Or like, like well past the back post, yes. yeah. Or, yeah, like too, too wide, mm-hmm. like the angle's no good. Or Alyssa and I just catches it or yeah. tips it over the bar. Literally, there's one where she dives and catches it, right? Mm-hmm. So uh, I think France were really limited to just going for crosses and Govan and Alyssa May getting kind of tame headers at, at the US goal. Yeah, yeah. agreed. And I, th- and I think a big part of that, again, is because you have players like Tobin Heath, who uh-huh. usually w- would be staying further forward. Instead, they dropped in. Megan Rapino did stay further forward. And I think that was a sort of she's your outlet that can then play it to Alex Morgan and you can get those quick counterattacks. But I think the United States sitting in a bit more uh, definitely worked. That said, we had some moments where we were a little bit concerned about Crystal Dunn. Yeah. Uh, and I think she had about as good of a game as I could have hoped for from Crystal Dunn. Absolutely, because do you mind getting into this now? The no, tactical element, right? So Tobin Heath was staying deep mm-hmm. um, and defending because of the Marjorie left back attacking left back overlap on the one side. On the other side, it seemed like almost to balance that out, Megan Rapino stayed high, mm-hmm. right? Did not get involved in defending. And not because she's lazy, not because she doesn't want to. It looks like an instruction, right? Like yeah. If we're going to sacrifice Heath, we're not going to also sacrifice Rapino because then we're just defending uh, mm-hmm. from the start. I mean, and you the, could, sorry, sorry to interject, but you could see it. We watched, the, we had the tactical cam on as well. Yeah. And there were those Eventually, moments. Eventually, we had a tactical cam on. Yeah. Yeah, thanks, Fox. Yeah. Um, but you get, like you can tell when a player is sort of like jogging back, walking back, not quite as focused on their defensive job versus Megan Rapinoe would sprint back or go like 80% like sprint back to get into the space where she needed to be, but would then stop and hold up. And so to your point... Oh, so she was there to receive the ball when we counted. She basically. was, yeah. yeah. That's as far back as she would come was yeah. like to make the outlet pass yeah. easy, right? So it wasn't she doesn't come back in defense. She doesn't no. never tracks Torrent, the right back, all the way back, Mm-mm. like uh, like Heath was doing to Marjorie on the other side. Not until, like, end of the game, desperation time. But yeah. aside from that, no. And so I say that just to say that it wasn't even, like, she was maybe just, like, kind of switching off or whatever. It was yeah, yeah. She would drop back and then be in the exact spot she needed to be to be that outlet, yep. and then everybody could play off of that. But the knock-on effect of that mm-hmm. is that Crystal Dunn is left either 
1v1 versus Gianni, who's super dangerous. <laughs> at dribbling, best of times. At best of times. Or 2v1 mm-hmm. with Torrent joining. So Torrent and Gianni going up against Crystal Dunn. And in terms of what I said at the top of the show about, like, we had some questions and they were answered. Mm-hmm. One of the questions was, it's great to have Crystal Dunn as a left back because it means we have one extra super attacking player in the field and she can join the attack. Uh, and she can, you know, do what she's best at, which is join the attack and be Crystal Dunn. Mm-hmm. But we had concerns when she comes up against elite right wingers and right backs and people going at her, how does she cope? And the answer is magnificently. Uh, wh- what do you mean? Because I, I mean, might take a little, uh, I might disagree with you a little bit on that one. I mean, she, okay, maybe she got beat once or mm-hmm. twice, but then she would get beat and she would scramble back and get in position to block the cross or make it really hard, right? Yeah, that's fair. The only time France actually got crosses in is when they overloaded it and uh, Dunn would stay with Gianni all the way, but no one would mark Tarrant. And then so. Uh, Johnny could drop it back to Torrance, right? Yeah. And so, I mean, and the only time France managed to get a sort of through ball along the ground, do you remember that? They broke open the middle and Gianni was sort of in on goal. Yeah. Crystal Dunn was there with a like a True. sliding block tackle. I, so uh, yeah. I think Crystal Dunn coped magnificently against a really, really tough opponent or opponents. Two, two things there. First, I think you're right. I think that I'm, I like, I'm remembering the kind of looming threat of that French right side throughout that first yeah. half and how often, because I think Crystal Dunn and the US back line were trying to stay kind of compact in front of goal or narrow in front of goal. So yeah. she usually had to then sprint like 20 yards out wide to deal with Gianni. So I think I remember that and thinking... Because the moments we would get tense when yeah. that would happen, right? I remember those moments. Yeah, I'm only just now relaxing. But that's not really her. That's like yeah. she's doing what she's been asked to do. Again, you can't really criticize her for doing or like playing the role the way she's been asked. Yeah, and then it'd be like criticizing Tobin Heath for not being creative enough when she's doing a defensive job. There we are. Yeah. But the, to your other point, which I think is, is, is very uh, useful, is that... You're right that even when she was maybe like a little like like in because of the system what the system required if she was 15 yards away when the ball went to Gianni you're right that Crystal Dunn always ended up harassing Gianni to some extent she made her life difficult even if it meant that she had to like cut down the end line and maybe get past Crystal Dunn because the side tackle didn't quite come off she still then has to kill her angle and sprint and adjust and exert energy and now when she yep. is able to cross that ball another defender has slid in front of her so now she has to either get past that player or end up just firing it in and it doesn't quite come off yeah mm-hmm. so. Uh, big check mark next to can Crystal yes. Dunn defend like it might look a little scary mm-hmm. but that's because she's up against a scary opponent and came out I would argue on top I would agree yeah alright should we get to the goal yeah probably the early goal because it happens really early in the game and it probably does end up shaping the game a little bit right yes. so it's a Megan Rapinoe free kick in the fifth minute mm-hmm. that goes straight in it is and it, I want to give Megan Rapinoe credit for that but I also want to give her credit for the free kick happening like itself because uh, the United States get a throw in around midfield. Yeah. Rapino takes it, has the awareness to throw very long and put the ball in, a, in the right spot that it's basically Alex Morgan versus uh, Griezmann-Bock. And Alex Morgan is goal side and is probably by Mbok, and that's why she has to really just very obviously bring down Alex Morgan. Yeah. So it's a free kick there. Is that where Mbok gets her yellow? It is. Ah, and I okay. also think that that maybe explains a little bit of why she wasn't quite as aggressive in going for some challenges and trying to meet the ball maybe as aggressively as she only seen. wants the one yellow. Not there the it is. One. Yeah. yeah. So, but it's so it's it's good awareness for Megan Rapinoe to launch that ball on the field, and it's good work from Alex Morgan again, not getting the goals, but doing work to put her team in a position to get a goal. I mean, she's very involved in the second goal, right? This is Which true. We'll, we'll talk about that. All right. So, yeah. the free kick itself. This is um, fascinating. This whole. I, I was personally really excited for us. Yeah. <laughs> the Total Soccer Show. Uh-huh. So we talked a lot in our preview about when you're facing France. We recommend don't cross balls in mm-hmm. high Wendy Renard will head them clear she will go low and you might cause them some trouble because we've seen this in the past aim low yeah don't don't be Michelle Obama <laughs> aim low <laughs> if they go high we go low uh-huh. uh, and that's what happens right Rapino fires it in low it's yep. meant I think for Ertz to meet it at the near post yep. and flick it on or flick it at goal 
And I think for Lavelle to be at the back post, because if you see Lavelle sneaks around mm-hmm. to the back post, but instead it just causes so much confusion. I think it goes through Amandine Henry's legs so, yes. and beyond Buhadi. It's two, 1-0 USA, Rapino with the goal. It is indeed. Two things there. The first, I would say that it's maybe aimed for Julie Ertz and maybe she's supposed to flick it on. But if nothing else, I think she's an agent of chaos in this scenario. Yeah. She just goes flying into this one. Yep. And I think if you're trying to defend her but make a play on the ball but also be aware of your positioning and you've got this player who's very good in the air and can obviously score a goal just charging into the box, you might lose a little bit of focus and pay attention to her. Yep. But I also think that we didn't have Wendy Renard marking Sam Ewis in this sequence. We had Amandine Henri, who yeah. is significantly smaller than Sam yep. Mewis and I think that f- matters to me because Henri is goal side of Mewis but trying to sort of body her off and using the sort of forearm which isn't really legal but it's not totally illegal to like keep it's position. It's not illegal but it's never called. It's not. <laughs> and so but because of that she's sort of trying to body Sam Mewis but can't do it and Sam Mewis starts moving towards the goal and Henri is backing up and backing up and I think gets a little bit of a nudge from Sam Mewis right oh, as yeah, the ball she is her right at the last served second, in. Right? Yeah. But I think because she's so focused on Sam Mewis and trying to defend that, Henri isn't really focused on the ball. And by the time she recognizes what's happening, she's kind of been knocked into a situation where she gets nutmegged on the, on, with the ball going in. Yeah, and it's worth noting that this is obviously very similar to the early goal against Spain. Not from a free kick, but yeah. from a corner kick. This one, Rapino fires in low, mm-hmm. but what, like Mewis gets a touch to it yeah. at the near post? Someone so. gets a touch to it at the near post. Um, Somebody does, yeah. probably. But So it's a similar, it's a, it's a pattern that the US women's national team, um, it, it's one of their set-piece routines, basically, yep. is fire it in low to the near post, have someone flick it across goal that will cause chaos and it's worked twice in two knockout round games it has so that's not a bad record for like your set pieces working at a world cup not so bad no Uh and i think it was stephen goff pointed out on twitter i don't have the exact minutes in front of me i I jotted them down from memory but i think uh so far in this world cup the united states has scored in like the third minute the seventh the 11th the 13th and the fifth or something Mm -hmm. like that they score early is i think is i think the uh the strategy there do you think the goal impacts how the u.s plays for the rest of the first half yes I it's do. good, right? Okay. Yeah. Uh, let me rephrase the question. In what way in what does the way? U.S. scoring early impact how the U.S. plays for the rest of the first half? Because I think they can back off now. And I don't mean just like take their foot off the gas, relax. But I think uh, – like my wife texted me about 20 minutes in. I was like, why is the United States not pressuring them? Why aren't they go- kind of going at them? And I yeah. think it's because – Or not even pressing when France have the ball, Exactly. Right? Yeah. But I think it's because the, all, all the pressure's on France now. And yep. they, they have to make something happen. So the United States can sit in, focus on holding their shape, not giving up opportunities, and then – France eventually get frustrated and commit numbers forward and commit numbers forward, and then you have opportunities to break. And that's why I think we had Rapino and Morgan taking the defensive attacking positions that they did, yes. if that makes any sense. Um, and, and I think that's, that's a big part of it. And you could see the one that stands out to me is uh, to start the second half, I think it was. Julie Ertz, there's one moment when she gets pulled out a little bit. She goes to track a ball, and I think Rose Lavelle goes with her, and one of them was supposed to stay, and they have a quick conversation. Julie Ertz comes flying back to try to get into the right spot, but it's a ball to Tine. She turns and plays in Gianni, and that's the one you mentioned. Oh, this is the Crystal Dunn tackle. When, yeah, the, when Crystal Dunn. game-saving tackle. That could have been the equalizer. But I say that to say that like it's worth remembering that that's how good this France team is. They are that that quality mm-hmm. of a team that if you mess up and you give them time and space, they will find those opportunities, and they almost did. Yep. So I think the United States' focus became deny them space, like in, especially in, our, in the middle, exactly. Right? Maybe yeah. push them wide, and yep. they can try some crosses mm-hmm. in, but we'll probably win them. Yeah, and yeah. then also because you can sit back a little bit deeper, you can slow France down. And we were really focused on Majri, Amel Majri, the left back for France yeah. coming into this game. I think the United States was as well. Yeah, and it, his plan, right? Yeah, yeah, and and we had a few people ask us like, why did she have such a bad game? Why were you all so scared of her? And again, it's similar to the Tobin Heath thing of like Tobin Heath didn't just play defense; like she was told to do that. And I think the United States strategy of of sitting back and getting 
getting numbers and then making the crosses difficult, it frustrated Amel yep. Majri to the extent that I think twice near the end of the game she passes the ball straight out of bounds yeah. because she doesn't have time and space. Yeah, it doesn't mean she's not talented. It means mm-hmm. we nullified her. Exactly. It's almost as if Julius knows what she's doing. <laughs> <clears throat> All right. So it's half time. Like it we're is. doing the chronology of the game here. It's mm-hmm. half time. Seems like we should have an ad break. All right. right? That's what that's what everybody does at half time. That seems like a good idea. Today's show is sponsored by. FB Ref, our friends at fbref.com. Mm-hmm. They, of course, have all kinds of Women's World Cup stats, as we've mentioned. They also get the game stats up really quickly after each game. I know this because I've pulled up USA oh, versus we've got them? France. All right. I've, got some work, I've got some stats from this game. Were there goals in that one? There were goals. Okay. It was 2-1 to right. the US. So they give you that stat. They do give you that okay. stat. They give you much more, though. All Here's right. one. We talked about how like uh, Becky Sauberon mm-hmm. was leading the offside line. Um France were offside twice as many times as the United States. Yes. Plus, there's that one goal where I don't think we were offside. So I'm oh. going to say it should actually be uh, even less. That was real, real close. Uh-huh. Real, real close. It was, she was a toe offside. Mm-hmm. Right? Crystal Dome was a toe offside. It's okay. I yeah. think uh, Karmic Lee was made up for by the uh, no-call handball later oh, at the end of the game. We will talk about yeah. that. Mm-hmm. Uh, so France were offside six times. US were offside three mm-hmm. times. We caught them six times. Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, well, what does it say about possession? I haven't seen the possession stats. In there. Uh, possession, I'm curious. I saw it on here. I've be- got to find it. Because it feels like it might have been France, but it might have been France with like... Less significant possession. 61% France, Ooh. 39% United mm-hmm. States. Here's a very telling uh, stat. Shots on target. All right. France uh, shots five out of 20 shots were on target. Man, I, I'm actually surprised it's that high because I don't remember the scenario. As high as five? I think I remember a couple that went sort of right to her but seemed terrifying in the moment because yep. it was in the moment. But yeah. Yeah, right. okay. Well, so, uh, well done, Alyssa. But a lot of them were headed just wide or just over, yeah. right? United States, are you ready for this? I'm shocked by this. Efficiency? Eight out of ten shots on target. There you go. 80% of shots on target. If that's a striker, you're the best striker in the world. Like a good striker rate is 50% of your shots on target. This is. You think like that Sam Mewis strike mm-hmm. early in the second half. I think Juliet has a strike in the first half. All these like top of the buck shots on target. Yeah. yeah. I think they did some Mighty Ducks training and they basically just focused on cleaning up the trash so that <laughs> in between the games they went from having like very, no shots on target or two shots on target and two goals and uh-huh. that's it to having a bunch of shots on target. There you go. Well done USA. Well done to adjust. I think that tells a story of the ruthlessness of the US uh, mm-hmm. in this game. We've also got, I love these stats. I love that FBRF have these tackles and interceptions because I think those are actually, those are good stats for, for who did what. It right? is telling me that I genuinely have no idea who had the most successful tackles in this game. I think I could make a guess, but I might totally be wrong. And I say that because it could be like six different players for the United States. Who do you think it is? Julie Ertz. It's Crystal Dunn. That's my second choice. Crystal Dunn with ah. four tackles, uh-huh. one interception. All right. Sam Mewis not far behind, three tackles. So she had a, uh, it seems like a good defensive game. I don't, I don't remember these tackles, but they definitely happened if FB Ref has them. All right. Did Julia Ertz get like one of each category for defensive stats? So is there like one interception, one block, one tackle, one, one clearance? One tackle, two interceptions. There we go. Yeah. All right. And Sauerbrunn matches her leading for interceptions. Mm-hmm. Two interceptions for Becky Sauerbrunn as well. I can remember her stepping out a few times and winning balls. Why Again, did we call Becky Sauerbrunn the braid, by the way? I feel like we should call her the braid. We should. All uh, right. Yeah. <laughs> the braid. And the US team is the Brady Bunch? Boo. <laughs> <laughs> Unacceptable. But you know what is acceptable? What's that? The statistics available at fbref.com. They sure are. So, yeah, if you'd like to see for yourself, the link will be in the show notes or go to fbref.com. Mm-hmm. I also recommend the newsletter, Stathead. You can click on the nav bar at fbref.com and find uh, – you can subscribe to Stathead, the newsletter. So let's... Thank you to FBref for sponsoring today's show. I was the one being polite this time. Thank you so, so much to <laughs> FBref for sponsoring today's show and having uh, giving us the privilege and honor of discussing their statistics on our program. <laughs> Let's talk second half because I have a theory about what the United States tried to do 
coming out uh, for the second half, and I think it briefly worked and then caused problems. All right, what's your theory, Professor Taylor? Uh, Thank you. First of all, for giving me my proper title. Finally. Yes. (laughs) I am Professor Dr. Taylor. Thank you. Uh, (laughs) Yeah, but I think basically the United States – Thought we've been we set off at the end of the first half. We frustrated France. We invited them to come at us, and I think if that's the kind of momentum of the game, it can be really difficult if you're that attacking side to suddenly kind of get hit and have to deal with that. Yeah. And I think we saw the United States come out with a game plan of let's be really aggressive and let's try to get one early to start the second half. Unleash the Heath. There it is. That's what we did second half, right? She stopped doing that tracking back thing mm-hmm. as much, and he stayed high and went for it. And Rapino didn't compensate by being more defensive on the other side. She did not. And and I think here that like I know how like ludic- ludicrously obvious this is about to sound, but I really do think that the United States has the goal of scoring very early in either half. Yeah. And like I know the goal of soccer is to score as quickly as you can, uh-huh. but th- it seems like the U.S. really see those first kind of five to ten minutes as an opportunity to go at the at your opponent, make something happen, and then if it doesn't, sit off a little yep. bit and see what happens. Let's go get them. Yeah. That's the start of the second half is let's go get them. Yeah. Doesn't it the first possession... First five, or, like for, for first five minutes, I think, of the second half, it's like, yeah, the U.S. gets two corners, I yeah. think, and really start to get the chances. newest shot. That I yep. think it's a pretty good strike, right? Mm-hmm. I think uh, Buhadi has to tip it around the post. Uh, she tips it, and then Tobin Heath is there to get the rebound, and Buhadi has to slide across. And that's then she, it. it either goes wide or she uh, pushes she it wide that for as well. I think that's yeah. one of the many shots on target from the United there States. There we go. <laughs> there we go. Yeah, but, so, but to your point... It, that requires Tobin Heath or allows Tobin Heath to be, stay further forward. And we started to see, instead of it being like uh, defensively Alex Morgan at midfield, Megan Rapino drop back somewhat, but like maybe 20 yards like uh, closer to the U.S.'s goal, and then Tobin Heath all the way back. Yeah. Now Tobin we see Heath it, double right back in. Yeah. She's not doing that anymore. No, now we just see a front three. And, and, and they stayed that way. And I think that's when the United States really started to have problems because then suddenly, yep. if, say, France came down the left side, their left side, the United States is right. Now suddenly it's just Kelly O'Hara, yeah. know, like almost a three v one at times. And sometimes you have Rose Lavelle would she's the right centre mid would come over and help Kelly O'Hara. Mm-hmm. But even when she does that, that means then we only have two central midfielders yeah. left, right? Because the benefit of he's doing it is you still keep three in the middle. Mm-hmm. So suddenly there's a bit more space in the middle, and Tina can get a bit more involved. Yep. So. It's really a rough 15 minutes, right? It is. Well, I'd say the first five is good for the U.S. because we're on the front foot. Then there's a rough 10 minutes where it really felt possible that France could equalize. Yeah, and and it's in the moment it felt sort of like the United States is besieged and this is definitely going to be a goal France needs to do – or the United States needs to do something. Jill Ellis does eventually change it. But even going back and watching, the chances in there are not – there still aren't like a combination quick pass through the middle and it's a 1v1 that Alyssa Nair somehow saves. It's still, I would say, fairly low percentage chances. It's just that once France start getting more and more opportunities, eventually they're going to be a little bit calmer, a little bit more poised in front of goal, and then instead of it being a shot wide, it's a shot in the back of the net. And the thing is, a a good coach who's not afraid to make big decisions Mm -hmm. would probably do something like change the formation at this point (laughs) and sort of change the shape of the game. Yes, and that's exactly what happened. That's what Gilelis, mm-hmm. World Cup winning coach Gilelis mm-hmm. did. Yes, and and I mean worth noting. I'm really making the case. Here. That's fair, but like it's also worth noting that again, if we talk uh, talk about Gilelis the way we talk about a coach like Mauricio Pochettino, who we loved for Spurs this season, especially in the Champions League, for making two and three changes to the approach. Yeah, as looking at the game and being yep. like, okay, here's the problem, here's my fix. Yeah, everything's better. And look at this game. I mean, the United States comes out aggressively, gets an early goal again, change the approach, sit back, frustrate, come out in the second half, be aggressive. Then it starts to not work. Change the formation and sit back and get everybody behind the ball. But 
still knowing exactly what's being asked of them. So it's not a lot of just kind of last ditch flying around defending. Yep. I mean, that's one, two, three changes, four changes, yep. four big changes made by Jill Ellis. Let's talk about this formation change then. So we go from the four, three, three, three changes uh, yeah. to a five, four, mm-hmm. one. So Julie Ertz. How do you know, though? Because I heard Jill yell it. <laughs> Is it because she held up 5 four, one Yeah, fingers? and she was yelling yeah. from the bench, yeah. right? And the U.S. really, I was really impressed with how quickly the U.S. adjusted. Mm-hmm. It's obviously something that they've worked on at some point so that they can get straight into it, right? Yes. There's no confusion about who does what. So Julie Ertz leaves central midfield, mm-hmm. just becomes a third centre-back, right? So suddenly you have, I think Ertz stays central, right? Then Sauerbrunn and Dalkamper yep. uh, to her sides. And you still have the fullbacks, uh, Dunn uh, and O'Hara. Mm-hmm. But the big thing is they're not then, the fullbacks aren't like tight with the back four, they, they're allowed to be a little bit wider, which means France don't even have the space to begin to get Mm-mm. down the wing. There's already Dunn or O'Hara ready to be there. And this is the really important thing, I think. Those fullbacks are freer to step out and win things higher. Right? Yes, if they and- know there's a load more defenders behind them, Dunn can like take the risk of, oh, I, could, I can get to that pass. I can like charge 10 yards and get there and not be worried that I've left the entire side open. I would extend that even to say that she doesn't even have to charge 10 yards anymore because yeah. now it's five yards because, right. because they're, they're that much more spread out. Uh, that I think is the other thing is five why. of them, so you're not yeah. even, you're not really spread out. You're just covering more ground with more people, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I think also that's why you started to see uh, Eugene Le Sommer on the left for France, but then left back uh, Majri. You started to see them struggle even more because now Majri has been used to this whole game having time and space out wide and eventually getting pressure. And you do get used to that. You get used yeah. to having a couple that seconds. Easy first touch. Yeah. yeah. Easy first touch. Pick your head up. Take another touch. Cross the ball in. Yeah. But now if Kelly O'Hara is five or ten yards closer to you. And in there's, your face. there's that much more pressure. Yeah. And also at the end of the first half was literally in Marjorie's face, I believe it was, when she <laughs> crushed her. Um, but then it, it does make it harder. And I think, again, that's why you start to see France get a little bit sloppier and struggle to kind of maintain possession at times out wide because yeah. of that adjustment, which is then like Jill Ellis doubles down on a smart change by making a smart substitution. Yeah. She goes to a 5-4-1 on the 59th, 63rd, which I think is about the earliest she could have made that change because she has to call Lindsay Horan back, give, yeah. give Lindsay Horan inst- instructions. I and saw Lindsay Horan warming up running yeah. up and down the line as Jill Ellis was calling the 5-4-1. Yeah. So obviously the introduction of Horan mm-hmm. is part of the switch to the 5-4-1. Yeah. Right? It just takes a, it takes a few minutes, like you said, yeah. to get her in there. Yeah, because you've got to yeah. wait for the ball to go to bounds and everything. Yeah. But the thing that I love the most about it, aside from Lindsay Horan now being in the game, and I love Lindsay Horan, is that the first thing she does is call, I think, like maybe five players over, and there's oh, a and huddle. Comes on, and yeah. you can see her like pointing at a player. You do this. You're doing this now. You're doing this now. And everybody sort of nods and agrees, and they go to their spots. And I, it, again, I wish meetings at w- places I've worked with that. Be very helpful. Yeah. Yes. Unless you're in a dictatorship, in which case, less so. Uh-huh. Uh, but here. Well, I, I mean, I was, but there were still long meetings. Yeah, that checks out. <laughs> <laughs> um, but here it's everybody again. It, it's, it's, the, it's the rehearsed. Like way that the United States play indicates how much practice they've had. That everybody immediately knows what their role is. Megan Rapinoe becomes a left midfielder. Yep. Kevin Heath becomes a right midfielder. Now you've got Sam Ewis and Lindsey Horan in the middle. You've got the three center backs behind them. Yep. And suddenly, very difficult for France to find a way through. And it's the right change, right? Because mm-hmm. Lavelle is the least defensive of the midfielders. So to suddenly have like a two-player central midfield of Mewis and Lavelle, mm-hmm. there's kind of a weak link there, right? Yeah. Not in terms of technique or anything, but just in terms of defensive strength. So to replace Lavelle with Horan is a massive upgrade and Mewis and Horan make sense for a long time yes. as those two centimetres, right? And I think what doesn't eventually Mewis gets a bit tired and Lloyd comes in? Yep. That is also fine. That's fine with yeah. me too. I have a question for you though. That's kind of off topic, but I just remembered it here. The commentators talked about uh, near the end of the game how Jill Ellis had said that France don't want the ball, so we want them to have the ball, which explains the possession stat. But yeah. Do you agree with that? Like, why? What? No, you know, I mostly don't agree with JP. Delicano, okay, right? okay, cool. I, I was just, I was surprised by that because I understand 
maybe like giving France the ball. I just don't know why you would want yeah. France to have the ball more. I think a lot of stuff is uh, that commentators will take one quote and then extrapolate their own sort yeah. of narrative from All it. Right. That does, and I think they take a wrong turn at some point. Okay. All right. Well, that's fair. That's the kindest way I can say yeah, it. Yeah, they, 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 they miss one or two things. Yeah. We'll talk about that in a second. But first, we have to talk about the USA's second goal. Oh, yeah. Because here is where everybody who I saw tweeting, Tobin Heath is terrible, Tobin Heath is no longer good, had to then say, all right, Tobin Heath may be still good. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. And, sa- and same for Alex Morgan. Yep. So it's Rapino who gets the mm-hmm. goal. But this really is all about the interchange between Morgan and Heath under pressure, the way they're able to essentially work France's midfield and defence in the space of what? Is it, is it, it's not a one-two if you both touch it two times. It's, right? it's a double one-two. It's a double or I don't one-two. know what it is, but it's, it's a clearance. A two-four? Yeah, it's a clearance from <laughs> Kelly O'Hara. I think off a U.S. throw, it gets dropped back. She clears it. It's a little. It's a little bit like it's to Alex Morgan, but it's not Alex Morgan clean because it's Alex Morgan under pressure from I believe Wendy Renard has her again. She does really well mm-hmm. to like receive balls under pressure. Like in a way, she maybe she didn't against Spain, but she's doing it really well against France. She, and she got knocked down a good number of times yeah, in this yeah. game as well. And I think she anticipated getting knocked down, but was still able to hold it up. Uh, so it's Morgan settles. Plays it to Heath. Heath plays it back to Morgan. Morgan cuts inside and then plays Heath in for the driven ball. Yeah. Heath plays it back across for eventually Rapino. But it's like, yeah, so it goes Morgan Heath, Morgan Heath, Rapino. Uh-huh. I like that combo. And they both have like good little moments, like clever moments mm-hmm. of manipulating space within there, yep. right? Like so, for example, when Heath gives Morgan the ball, doesn't Morgan like yep. cut inside away from Wendy Renard just to avoid the best defender? But across the path of Armel Majerie, across so the path she of Majerie, mm-hmm. so she goes there. But then another mid, is it Busalia has to yep. come try and come over in time. But while all that is happening. Tobin Heath has just like gotten on her very fast. Tobin horse. Heath go. Tobin Heath go. Yeah, she has like run into the gap behind Wendy Renard. Tobin go. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> so behind Wendy Renard and Marjorie. I'm so sorry. I'm so Marjorie's sorry all the way up there yep. over the halfway line mm-hmm. or like beyond the defensive zone anyway. Yep. So she knows there's just space to exploit in behind Renard mm-hmm. and no Marjorie. Yep. So that's why Heath goes. And Morgan finds that. It's a really clever ball from Alex Morgan. It is. And Tobin Heath is away. She is. And at f- when I first saw this, I thought her touch was a little bit heavy and that maybe she should have squared to Sam Mewis. Yeah, she but I think- Buck. Uh, she's a, yeah. yeah, Mbok, but also Mbok does a good, good enough job to kind of slide across and maybe just make Tobin Heath think about that pass just a little bit longer so yeah. she ends up taking the touch. But also, uh, Torrent, the, the right back for France, has also slid over. So I think th- like there's good covering runs from France. And so then when you look at that touch from Tobin Heath to take her wide, to take her to the touch line, yeah. it pulls Mbok all the way over. It pulls Torrent all the way in. Yeah. And then when she ends up playing it back, I do think she's aiming for Sam Mewis. Yes, me too. But hits it a little bit behind her. But it leaves Megan Rapinoe wide open in the box. Because Torrent is occupied with exactly. Mewis. Yeah. Um, you talked about that Heath first touch. I, mm-hmm. I sort of agree with you that... Initially, when you see the Morgan through ball, you think, oh, Heath's in on goal. Yep. But then she goes away from goal. She mm-hmm. goes to the end line. I think in hindsight, I guess it's easy because we scored to have hindsight where you feel good about it. But I think she just makes a quick decision. And I like that because often you'll see Tobin Heath receive the ball. And then she decides she's like going to try to send the defender this way or that way. This time she just thinks, all right, I'm just going to go for the end line. I, I you know would say. And I would extend no, that. There's no tricks is what I'm saying. There's no, no step overs, no attempt to fool and buck. There's just, all right, I'm going to gun it to the end line and cut it back. But I would also say that there have been times in this tournament when we've seen when we've seen Tobin Heath do exactly what she did, but then finish that with a shot from that angle. And yeah. she tries to put it on frame from a very tight angle. And I had that moment of like, oh, she's going to shoot this, isn't she? And when she goes to play the, the square ball back, initially I was a little bit like, ooh, that wasn't quite good enough because it goes behind Mewis. But then yeah. it goes to Rapinho, and it made me appreciate Tobin Heath all the more. Fair. Okay, you, you said you think that she's going for Mewis. Yes. I think I agree with you, but I'd like to hear the case of exactly why. Sure. Because it ends perfectly in Rapinho's path. So there is an argument that maybe she was aiming for Rapinho all along, uh-huh. right? There is. But I think you're being generous there, if you make that <laughs> argument. Because to watch it from I'm the... I'm being ra- Tobin's advocate. 
That's fair. To watch it from the reverse angle, which is like sort of, if you're thinking about it, the replay, sort of from where Rapino's watching this play happen. Yeah. When he last picks her head up, she sees Mewis kind of making a run towards where the ball ends up being played. And then uh, Heath puts her head down, drives to the end line, crosses, and... I'm going to assume that that was based on like uh, peripheral vision, that she kind of knows there's a white jersey in that area. Yeah. I know to play it back across to there. Or you, but, or you take a photo of it in your head, yeah. and then you kind of extrapolate where Muse exactly. will be in a few seconds. Mm-hmm. Is the two the two ways of doing that, yeah, basically. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so I think I think she thinks it's going to go to Muse. Maybe she underhits it. Maybe Muse overruns it. doesn't really matter, though, because Megan Rapinoe was there, and it's just a calm finish. She still yeah, has defenders right. in front. Buhati... Runs across. I mean, isn't really able to make a, like a good play on this one. Yeah. But it's still goalkeeper gets back into position that if Megan Rapinoe, you know, gets too creative or takes a touch or side foots it a little bit too yeah. lightly or in the air, maybe it ends up getting picked out. Megan Rapinoe went to the casino and won. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So two mm-hmm. 0 United States. What sixty fifth minute? Yep. It was a nervy. All 20- is well. All is well for a while, but it was a nervy twenty five minutes. Right. Even I, though the, the defending looked good in the five four one, I still had that feeling of. All right, host nation, talented team, 25 minutes, buckle up. I'm not going to lie. I, I disagree a little bit. Oh, really? Strangely, you were feeling good. I wasn't, except that, like, as I was, re- I was still really nervous. 2 nil is still 2 nil. easy for me to say. Uh-huh. But I did start to see moments when France would, like the Madre one where she passes out of bounds, yeah, and then yeah. you see her and Les Amer, like, have a little bit of words. There's one where a ball for uh, Amandine Henri is overhit a little bit, and you see her, like, head up in frustration, and you just start to see those little familiar symptoms of like oh they're they're kind of giving up here like yeah. you can see the frustration the fatigue and then and the, that goal and the pressure right you're the host nation yeah. you and you're one of the best teams Very in the world true. you're not supposed to go out in the quarterfinal yeah you're right. and i should say like it was never any like giving up like heads hanging low or anything like that you could just see that like time is ticking away and the pressure's on and that wasn't right that wasn't the like the yeah, ball yeah, that was supposed yeah. to happen just that anxiety frustration building it like, up damn it damn it damn yeah. it yeah kind of and so if anything i thought well, we might bleu. i thought we might see a red card from france just with the way they started to play yeah. but i think the the goal the in the what eighty first minute I believe it was the yep. Wendy Renard goal I think that brings France back into it and kind of it's like smelling salts almost that yeah. now they're all way back and up for it and then I got real real nervous it would probably be more like coffee yeah yeah could talking be. In France yeah yeah that's probably true that's probably true <laughs> a chocolate croissant is that what is that what gets people going it's, car, it's got some fast acting and slow acting carbs all right perfect um, you say so anyway let's talk about the Wendy Renard <laughs> <All right. laughs> so it's a free kick uh, that the US wins is it Kelly O'Hara gives the free kick away yeah uh, oh, no it's Tobin, Heath. it's Tobin Heath it's Tobin Heath I believe so it's Tobin Heath gets I think she gets like suckered into a foul or like a call by uh, Marjorie I think that's where this comes okay. from okay mm-hmm. um, I'm not sure I agree but it's one it's one of the US players <laughs> gives a free kick away down the, the, the French left wing mm-hmm. um, then we have Tine and You're right. The Marjorie suckering Tobin Heath in is five minutes later. Yeah, I knew yeah. it was. I didn't, want to, I didn't want to embarrass you on no, I appreciate uh, it. So it's Marjorie and Tine standing over the ball, which is important because it's like one's left-footed, one's right-footed, and we don't know which way this mm. is going to go, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. And that is important because Wendy Renard gets behind the U.S. defense when she heads this in, and no one is able to get goal side of her because we were playing that offside line. I don't think so, Daryl. I think it's because Alyssa Nair kind of came out and then didn't come out. And why would you leave Wendy Renard open? It just, it's so oh, confusing. Oh, that what the commentary team went yeah. for. Yeah. No one seemed to notice that Sam Mewis had yeah. dropped five yards and kept everybody onside. Uh-huh. So that, that's what happened. Yes. Right? Sam Mewis broke the offside mm-hmm. line. Everybody else stayed tight in the offside line. She dropped. And we went back, and the reason she dropped is the fake run from Mar- or the fake take from Marjorie. Yes. Right? Marjorie runs up as if to take it left-footed, but then runs over the ball. Yep. But uh, Mewis reacts as if Marjorie's taken it, mm-hmm. so she drops when the line is would have dropped had it been taken. Yes. Then Tine comes in behind Marjorie and right-footed 
kind of just drive. It's like a chipped uh, mm-hmm. cross. But because Muis has gone, Renard can go, and the the rest of the US defenders are then chasing it. Right? No one is goal side to challenge her. I'll say that's why Renard has the free header. It is. I'll say this: it's like a very minor kind of nuanced thing. But Muis does do that. She drops way too deep, yeah. way too fast. She bites. She's the only one that bites on the fake. But she stays, and I kind of like that because so many times in the show we've criticized the defender for dropping too deep and then realizing, like, oh, no, I've broken the line, and then they go sprinting back the other way. Trying to correct the mistake, but too late. After the ball has been played, yeah. and now they're literally running in the wrong direction as the ball comes in. Uh-huh. So I do think Mewis... On the upside, they probably won't be in the shots when the goal goes in. That's, I, think that's, <laughs> I do sometimes wonder if that's part of the plan. It's like, if I get out of here fast enough, it's not my fault. Um, but I do think, I think Mewis turns and looks and recognizes, like, oh, no, I'm flying yeah. through the air right now. Uh-huh. But then instead of kind of running away, drops off. Like She even drops off a little bit more and tries to put her in a, herself in a position to attack that ball. Yeah. But it's too well hit by Tine. And it is, like, perfectly placed on Wendy Renard's head. Yeah. And Renard is really accurate oh, with yeah. her headers, right? It's not mm-hmm. just about being tall. She really, like, you give her a chance, she's yeah. mostly going to take it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, it's a great goal from France. I should say it's a lucky goal from France because you're absolutely right. It's Kelly O'Hara gets called for a foul on Amandine Henri, which yeah. I don't think was a foul. I think oh, yeah, Amandine like Henri weird, fell over. She but, kind of stumbled mm-hmm. and uh, yeah. O'Hara was like over the back of her, but yeah. I don't think it was a foul. Yeah, so. I don't think so either, yeah. but it goes. Maybe some, some karma happened with Kelly O'Hara later on there. Might could be. <laughs> uh, but again, this is another example similar to what I was talking about with Tine playing in Gianni and Dunn makes the, uh, the good defensive play that yeah. if you make a mistake, France is that good of a team that they will punish you. And mm-hmm. here the United States. I would say makes the most obvious mistake they made all game. The newest mistake? Yeah. Because yeah. and, and the offside was 100% perfect Other except that, for that one moment. I yeah. believe they were offside six times. I heard that somewhere. Yeah, you mm. sure did. <laughs> all right. So let's talk about that one final moment that was terrifying for everyone. Oh, yeah. So it's what? Marjorie is running at Kelly O'Hara. Mm-hmm. Um, she hits it left-footed cross. It hits Kelly O'Hara in yep. the arm. And then nothing happens. And well, nothing I guess happens. The ref does the like, arms down yep. low, uh, mm-hmm. like, Making waves? No, yep. like no, it wasn't. A, it wasn't a PK. I fully expected the ref to be touching her ear. Yep. VAR saying, "Hey, you might want to take a second look at this." Then the ref goes to the monitor and looks at it as like, "Oh, I think this actually is a penalty kick." This type of thing we've seen given. Yep. I don't know how many times, but multiple times throughout this World Cup. Mm-hmm. What, how does the US get away with this? How does Kelly O'Hara get away with this? So here's my here's my argument as to how she gets away with it. And then I'll tell you what I actually think. Um, I I think it's because Kelly O'Hara is in a defensive position. She's in a defensive crouch. She's sort of shaped to show Majri to the end line. So she's basically got her, like, left side to Amal Majri, which means that she's crouched. Her arms are down to, like, you know, as you would do. And I think when that cross happens, even though her arm goes back a little bit, I think it's because she's sort of in a natural – it's a natural movement. And it's still just barely breaking the silhouette. So I think for the official – Does the silhouette include your arms? I think so. I think – well, but but I'm – Makes sense, right? But I'm thinking literally from like imagine like a silhouette like from the side, like you might not be able to see her arm except for like maybe the very bottom. Yeah. So I guess that's that's what I'm thinking, and then I think the referee has a good vantage point and thinks of it more so as she's she doesn't change her body position at all. If anything, she ends up turning around and looking like, wait, what happened here? Because I think Kelly O'Hara is kind of thrown by it. So I think the official has the vantage point. There's a little there's an element of distance. I don't think she's intentionally making herself bigger. She's not moving her arm to block the ball. So I think that's that's, probably the key part. Yeah. It's not like her arm moves to block yeah. the ball it's just her arm is already down and there mm-hmm. and the ball hits it but if that's I'm the be, argument for not giving yeah. it but if I'm going to be honest I mean we spent a lot of time watching that Rose Lavelle penalty against Spain and I and people oh where she gets uh, right down the calf yeah, and, the calf, yeah. and I think and we I think concurred that it was a penalty maybe a soft penalty but we saw the contact we felt like it was a penalty yeah 
I think this could have been a penalty. I think it very yeah, easily yeah. could have been called as a penalty because uh-huh. we've seen it called that way in this tournament. I think if it went to VAR, it might have been given because. But they must have looked at it, right? I'm assuming that after this happens, mm-hmm. the ref says no. My only thought- VAR's initial job is to. Yeah. Go check, right? They at least would have done their own check, and then they then they yeah. notify. Just because we don't see it doesn't mm-hmm. mean it didn't happen, right? They yeah. would check it, and then if they thought the referee needed to see it again, then they would tell her. But it seems like they checked it and thought, yeah, no penalty. It almost makes me wonder if, if the referees at this stage of the tournament, or maybe because of the way the tournament has gone, have been told to sort of assert their authority a little bit more. Almost like you don't have to do VAR if you don't want to. Is and if you're like, yeah. no, I saw it. I'm not looking at it again. It's not. It's not going to change it. Like, yes, you might show me a replay where it hits her hand. Uh-huh. It's not a handball for me. I'm not looking at it. Like, that's the only thing I can think as to why she doesn't end up taking another look at this or why we don't get a pause while the VAR people, yeah. like, have their review. So I'm, I'm not really sure how this ended up not getting another look. The only thing I can think that is different with this penalty mm-hmm. versus all the other ones we've seen where the ball is fired at someone and it hits their hand, like, say, Aslani's penalty that she gives away against Sweden, is just that Kelly O'Hara's arms are down mm-hmm. and not out at all. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. You think of a Stani's yeah. arm, it's out to the side. You're right. I mean, she's, she's in a controlled position. Yeah. yeah, so that has to be the... like. And this isn't me arguing why it wasn't a penalty because mm-hmm. I'm a US fan. It's me trying to reason out yeah. why VAR didn't say, yeah, you need to take a second look at this. Mm-hmm. And I think they might have looked at that. And maybe it's clear in their rules that if your arms are down and not moving towards the ball, that that it's not a penalty kick. Yeah, right? that could be. Yeah, that could be. That's not my argument. That's my guess. Mm-hmm. How about that? All right. <laughs> okay. Fair. Okay, so we US gets away with that. Mm-hmm. There's still, what, five minutes to go plus five minutes of added time. Um, the US does a magnificent job yep. in this final 10 minutes. Kristen Press comes in, I think, is really good in mm-hmm. terms of... Um, she's not there to try and make an impact and be all about Kristen Press. She makes a lot of moves that are, I'm not going to goal. I'm either playing a safe pass so we mm-hmm. keep possession or I'm going to take this to the corner so we can slow it all down. Yeah. Um, Heath and Morgan do the same several times down the right wing. It was, I would say it's a masterclass in killing the clock without doing anything illegal. Yeah, because or it's... Like it's, not faking injury and like lying down for six minutes. Yeah, I mean, and like, <laughs> and like this is uh, an analogy that not many people are going to get, but we just did our Richmond Kickers Weekly show and we yeah. talked about a, uh, a kicker's defender sort of getting overly focused on the physicality in a moment of trying to shield the ball yeah. and ended up conceding a penalty. This is the... Exact opposite of that example here. What uh, Heath and Morgan do expertly is sort of they don't worry about the player who is coming in to foul them or knock them off the ball or whatever. They are 100% focused on keeping the ball and keeping it away from France to the extent possible. And you just start to see them do, because they're focused on what they're doing and not what France are doing, you see them do really smart things like, oh, you're going to run at me full speed? Well, then I'm just going to kick it at you and it's going to go off you. And now we have another 10 seconds to take this throw or 15 seconds. And I'm not taking this throw quickly, by the way. Mm -mm. No, there was a lot of it's very important that another. Another person take this throw, <laughs> yeah. so we need to wait for while this person comes over yeah. and gets in position to take it. My, actually, weirdly, my favorite moment was uh-huh. I can't remember if it's Morgan or Heath. One of them wins a free kick in the mm-hmm. down in, near the corner flag, um, and France are like ready to pounce on it yep. as they take the free kick, mm-hmm. and they just very slowly ask the ref, "Oh, can we get our ten yards, please?" There you go. <laughs> Which you actually don't need because you uh-huh. know you're going to pass it short, but it kills another few seconds and it makes it harder for them to yeah. come over and, and get you. But uh, but then they do the thing of like they they fake as though the free kick is going to be taken, and yeah. both the French defenders come running, and then they're like, "Oh, you got to back them up again." And like they're, they're infringing, yeah. yeah. And then they take it short. The other one that I loved uh, because it's worth remembering: the World Cup is in France, <laughs> yeah. so France are the home team. It's worth remembering: if we were on the other side of this conversation, we would be mad about all this. At the end. I mean, I, I wouldn't be. Or at least impressed, but like yeah. frustrated. It's, yeah. I mean, it's gamesmanship. They're not doing. Yeah. Anything, they're not diving. They're not going to the ground. They're not killing time. There was yeah. a few moments when I think the French crowd thought yeah. players were, but all of those seemed legitimate to me. You did dive, right? This is not at the end. This is oh, yeah, she definitely the did. first half. She definitely dove in the box trying to win a penalty. Sixteenth minute. She, yeah, she I'll did. give you. Should have got a yellow card for simulation. 
touching because there was have. no touch and she went flying down. Mm-mm. Yeah, but I want to tell you. Oh, she should get new cleats. My favorite moment of these final five minutes, she should yeah. probably get new cleats, was uh, I say, like, France playing at home, thus you have to assume the French ball kids have been told, if they're losing, get that ball back and play yeah, as quickly yeah, as you yeah. can. <laughs> and there's one where I think it was Kristen Press. The ball goes out of bounds. Like, she's she gets tackled, gets back up, ball kid throws her the ball, and she just, like, like very naturally kicks the ball back out of bounds and then continues. Like, as though, like, I'm not taking it. I'm, like, going to pass it back for my teammate so, so she can take yeah, the yeah. throw. But definitely kicks it the wrong way and away from the ball kid as well and then she continues her little jog and it's again it's it's gamesmanship it's yep. smart m- smart movements there to be to do enough that it seems like you're trying to play within the rules of the game uh-huh. while still maybe bending the rules a little bit there it underlines the US ruthlessness yep. which uh, is like borne out by that stat of like yes. 8 to 10 shots on target mm-hmm. versus France's 5 of 20 and that's where I want to end from like my points at least is that when you're talking about the ruthlessness I want to talk about Julie Ertz because okay. I she had, has no ruth she, she does not um uh, <laughs> Uh, going into this game in our preview, I mentioned that one of my sort of like lingering concerns yeah. was Julia Ertz 1v1 defending because I felt like we've seen her. The first goal is a good indicator. She just goes flying into stuff. She tries to make things happen. Yeah. But there are players who can exploit that and play very calmly around that. And yeah. I felt like Julia Ertz did about as good of a job as she possibly could have done of policing the midfield, of winning stuff in the air. She has one to start the second half where she's actively being fouled by, I think, Tine. And like as she's being pulled backwards and falling over, she's still outside of the foots, a through ball through for, yes. I believe, Megan Rapino, yeah. Or it might have been Sam Mewis. But just, she's just offside, mm-hmm. I think. But it's still a wonderful, wonderful pass as you're getting knocked down. Yeah. It speaks to her competitive, competitiveness mm-hmm. and technique. And the combo. And I think the other thing that speaks to her competitiveness and defensive technique is the fact that Tine was more or less anonymous in this game, mm-hmm. in my opinion. She had a couple moments. Uh, but the one that like I really remember is uh, Juliet's and Tine are battling for the ball. They kind of lock arms and Juliet almost does like a hip toss and gets called for the foul. Yeah, it's like a judo move, right? It's like an Olympic judo. <laughs> and about 10 seconds later, referee misses this. You picked it up. Yeah. Uh, Tine just hits Julia Ertz in open play. Like, not punches her. her with a shoulder. Yeah, she yeah. like shoulder charges her, knocks her over. Ertz gets up, looks at the referee and says, like, did you see that? But then continues to play. And I don't say that to say, like, oh, she's so tough, she gets back up. More so to say that France's creative number 10 was more focused on retaliating <laughs> yeah. against Julia Ertz than making a play. She actively runs away from the ball to try to make that hit on Julia Ertz. Yep. And France ended up losing possession. The United States goes the other way. It's that level of, like physicality and like frustration that Juliet brings to the opposition that I think is incredibly valuable to this team. All right. Mm-hmm. I have nothing else to say about this game, mm-hmm. I, but it's worth noting that now there is a semi-final yep. and it's the US women's national team against England. Mm-hmm. You're going to cut your jerseys in half and sew them together? I honestly have no idea how I'm going to feel or root or whatever mm-hmm. in that game. It's going to be next Tuesday, July 2nd, 3 p.m. Eastern. I will say I think it will be a magnificent game mm-hmm. because England play a sort of quite open, attacking, um, aggressive style um, and the U.S. does the same. And I think that's going to be like fireworks yeah. when they go up against each other. Um, so, so genuinely, with no rooting interest, say England win that game. Mm-hmm. And the U.S. doesn't end up... Oh, we're living in fantasy land? All right, cool. but just say, like, and, uh-huh. and we don't end up... The U.S. doesn't end up winning the World Cup. Yeah. I still... Th- the players won't agree with this, but I would still say this game against France, because it was like, you know, mm. people talked about the fi- the quarterfinal that should have been a final. I think there's a lot of vindication for all the things we were worried about with the U.S. going into this tournament because they were... The U.S. team was proved right against France. Yes. Yeah? I, I see your point. My only hesitation there is that... It would work a little bit better if maybe they had had 
one slightly better team in their group because otherwise <laughs> it's sort of like beat Thailand, a very weak Thailand, obviously, beat a Chile team pretty convincingly, yeah. beat a Sweden team that was resting all their players, beat a Spain team that everybody thought they should have beaten, and then finally play, played against a good opponent and gotten past France. But if they had maybe just beaten like one more better team in the <laughs> knockout round, maybe that's a bit more of an argument. Yeah. Uh, and honestly, I, actually, mm-hmm. I might just take that all back. Because, okay. okay, we have all these concerns about Crystal Dern. I said at the top of the show, yeah. questions have been answered. I think now she can defend against a player of Gianni's quality. Oh, she's got to do Lucy Browns, doesn't she? She's got to do Lucy Browns and Nikita Paris. Ribbly. Right, that's Ghibli. a whole. I mean, we'll preview that game obviously, but that's the cha- that's the next chance for the US is that England right side of Lucy Bronze. I think the best right back in the world, mm-hmm. um, and Nikita Paris, um, not the best right wing in the world, but like she's up there and she's dangerous and she's someone who's got moves to go past you. Mm-hmm. Like it could all go wrong against that combo, and suddenly Crystal Dunn has been exposed, and maybe we needed a more defensive le- mm-hmm. left back. So I've just I've just done a one eighty within the space of thirty seconds. All right, but they've at least proved it yeah. once. They've got to prove it again, I guess. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And that's what they've done so far throughout their careers, right? That's why they're the 2015 World Cup champions. That would make sense yeah. to me. <laughs> yes. I, I'm still just you know uncertain how I want to proceed when it comes to USA playing England. I'll, I'll have some plans for that game. You'll have some plans? I think so. What do you mean? Just ways to annoy you. Oh, no. <laughs> Can't we just enjoy the game? I don't think so. No. <laughs> going to be a lot of Empire jokes. going to be a lot of, uh, you the know. TV show? Uh, no. No. <laughs> Your faded Empire combined with your... Oh. Uh, Hilariously, have you, run taken a, have you taken a good look at Gibraltar and the Falkland Islands? <laughs> Pretty nice places. I can confidently say that I have not. The jewels of the empire. <laughs> yeah, the jewels of the empire. Uh-huh. <laughs> All right, this seems like... I thought that was Lucy Bronze and Nikita Paris. I mean, my, we might... If we, have, if we lose your brother in the Falklands, then yes. <laughs> this seems like a good point to end. I think probably yeah. so. So, Taylor Rockwell, thank you for taking the time to talk to me today. God save Julie Ertz. Listeners, thank you for listening. We will talk to you again very soon. Solid crossing to the far stick. Megan Rapino, I went to the casino and placed my bets on you to win the World Cup because I think that you deserve to, and I think it make you happy and the rest of the team too. You grab the mic, sing out a quick line, lay down a little spring scene. And if you come back to Chicago, I hope I see you step out on the pitch and get yourself a hat trick. Megan Rapino, I went to the casino and placed my best on you to win the World Cup because I think that you deserve to win. Thank you.